Now to the latest internet sensation. Sam Costello looks a bit like the Monopoly man. It was a farce, a joke, a national disgrace. I don't even think I have to react to that one. We are... YOLO! Can you go, mate? You've gone past the point of no return. Top of the morning to you. Good morning, Seb, and good morning to all your listeners. Weekend Breakfast with Seb Costello on Triple M. 17 degrees at 6 past 7. Good morning, Triple M's Weekend Breakfast. I'm Seb Costello, and this is the world's most livable city. Don't we love saying that? Well, The Age has taken it a step further this morning. They've released a list of Melbourne's most livable suburbs, 1 to 300. And it makes some interesting reading. East Melbourne is number one, Turak in third. But Ivanhoe, out there in the northeast of the city, beats out the likes of Brighton, Canterbury and Hawthorne, and does so comfortably. Joining us is the man behind the survey, the city editor at The Age newspaper, Clay Lucas. Good morning. Good morning, Seb. How are you going? Sensational. Tell us, mate, how do you come up with this list? Well, um, we work with consultants, um, uh, economists Deloitte and planners Tract, and basically they, they're experts in data, and they take data from 15 categories, uh, including... Um, road congestion, access to public transport, um, crime, um, access to shops, whether you've got broadband, um, cafes uh, and and tree cover, um, a bunch of other things, and rank every suburb in Melbourne from 1 to 321 according to how they rank on those, those 15 categories. Sounds pretty exhausting. How long does it take you to come up with the list? Look... We're working with them, it took us about three months of, of work. Um, it's the third time we've done it, so we've gotten a bit better at, at doing it. The, the, first, the first year they did it in 2005, it was done on bits of paper and, um, you know, there was, there, was, there was computing power involved then, but nothing like today. Um, so this time when we did it, it, yeah, it, took, it took a long time, but um, the amount of data that was crunched to come up with it, um, you know, it took us about two months. Where do you live, mate? Uh, Brunswick. Ah, and where did that feature? 78. Oh, that's all right. Lower down than I'd hope. <laughs> what is livability to you? Uh, look, it's so different to everyone, and that's part of the problem of doing these surveys. Um, and and I guess that's... So, I mean, you know, livability to me, because I work in the CBD, is, is access to the CBD. For a lot of people, that's not going to be such a such an important thing. So this time around, because computers have got so much better with... We've created a, a calculator on, which is on the Age website, which people can go in and, and set their own preferences. So, if things like uh, topographic variation isn't that important to you, which is one of the fifteen categories, you can set it to zero. Uh, and if access to the CBD is not important, you can set it to zero. And and at the end of it, you can put in a price, and it'll it'll give you a, a list of the top ten suburbs for you based on based on your preference. I like the sound of that. So essentially you can set the categories and make your suburb the most livable in town for the purposes of when you sell it. You can chuck that on the billboard. I like exactly. that. You can kind of rig your auction. <laughs> Clay Lucas, City Editor for The Age, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Seb. Thank you. It's a great list. Going through all the suburbs, you do get a little bit competitive. For example, the hyphen who pushes the buttons for us, he lives in Port Melbourne. He's beaten out me in Hawthorne. But, yeah, that fascinates me that Ivanhoe is in number eight above Canterbury, where Kylie Minogue's family live, and Brighton, where Warney has that big place. Quite interesting. Someone from Ivanhoe, give us a bell, one triple three five three. What makes your suburb so livable? Twitter, at Seb Costello 9 it's an interesting discussion because you love saying that, that Melbourne's the most livable city, but what is livability?
What does livability mean to you? What makes a suburb livable? Give us a call. one triple three five three is the Triple M open line. We're taking your calls after this. It's 17 degrees at 10 past 7. This is Triple M's Weekend Breakfast with Seb Costello. Feel sorry for the team out there in Sky. They've finished up 321 on this list. I like Sky. Played footy out there once. We got beat. George, where do you live, mate? I live in Safety Beach um, in the Gorgeous. morning Peninsula. Beautiful spot down there. And, mate, what makes that place livable? Oh, I just love that um, after working in the city um, all week, uh, just driving home Fridays and spending the weekend down and just go for walks along the beach on Saturday mornings and then just having the whole place to pretty much ourselves. It's like it's like a retreat on its own. Mate, it's a beautiful spot. You didn't buy the beach box at Portsea by any chance? No, no, not that, no, not that rich. But no. um, I, I did buy uh, near the golf course there uh, in Safety Beach, and just a really nice place. So. Mate, I can imagine. Good on you, George. Now I see uh, Nui Takoa, the gun showbiz reporter in this town, has once again returned uh, to the beach box issue in the newspaper today. Uh, let me just, for the record, it was not Eddie Maguire, despite what my report on Channel Nine may have given the impression to some. Joel's on the line. Joel, where is your joint? Uh, in Flemington. Magnificent. So, been pretty busy this week? Oh, very busy. <laughs> Can't get down Racecourse Road half the time. <laughs> I can imagine. Is it a livable place, generally? Uh, very, yeah, very, very livable. Like, you know, there's public, a lot of public transport, um, you know, show, shops, cafes, you know, so very good. Magnificent. I'll find where it is on the list. Thanks for your call, Joel. One triple three five three. Give us a bell. What is livability? If you live in Warrandyte, Ferntree Gully, Templestowe, they're on the list in there. But particularly if you're in Ferntree Gully and Warrandyte, I've got bad news for you. You are actually below Broad Meadows on the list. Broadie comes in at 188, Ferntree Gully 220, Warrandyte 228. Altona does all right too. Altona's better than Templestowe. There you are. For me, livability is about being close to sporting facilities. I've got that romantic feeling that a lot of people in Melbourne have, that I just want to live as close as possible to the MCG. And I think I've achieved that at the moment, about a 20-minute walk or just up the tram up Bridge Road there. Or I'm not a big one for public transport, I've got to be honest. As long as I'm in the vicinity of an on-ramp to CityLink, I'm generally pretty happy. So that's livability for me. At Carlton, Mick, is Carlton a livable place? Oh, it is the most livable, livable suburb in the world. I'm walking down Ligon Street on my way to work right now. Yeah, then what, uh, what makes it so good? The vibrancy, the culture, the food, the coffee, mate. <laughs> beautiful. Mate, it is beautiful. <laughs> How does it feel being in the driver's seat, Seb? Oh, well, mate, uh, look, you, the program's been going well. We've been here about eight weeks or so. So, Mick, uh, I'm, I'm pleased that you're able to join us. Oh, you're doing a great job, mate. I'm enjoying it. Mate, you're a champion. We'll uh, keep things sticking over down there in Ligon Street. Maybe one more to wrap us up. Daniel, you're at Ferntree Gully. Yes, mate. Mate, what do you think of being ranked lower than Broadmeadows? Oh, I think it's pretty stupid, to be honest. Mate, yeah. Broadie's in 188. Ferntree Gully is in 220. Oh, I don't know how that works, mate. <laughs> Have you got a message for those who put the list together? Um, I think you better think about what you guys are putting together. We've got heads of sporting facilities, lots of schools, lots of shops and cafes. So. I like it. A little bit of representation from FTG up there in the hills or at the foot of. Very nice spot, actually. 
In the 20th century, the sporting landscape was indeed a wide world. But with the advent of the interweb communication and global overpopulation, the sporting universe is bigger than ever. And champions beyond the traditional games deserve their recognition. Presenting the Weekend Breakfast's Glittering Galaxy of Sport. And don't the kids love it? They certainly do. The idea is to recognise people in sports and games that perhaps aren't getting the mainstream attention. Last week, we had the great Felix Zemdegs, two-time Rubik's Cube world champion, coming straight out of Armidale. And this morning, I want to take a look at another sport. It's called mountain boarding. It's all over YouTube, madly popular. Essentially, it's almost snowboarding on mountains where there is no snow, but they have a larger wheel in the style of a skateboard, but a larger tired wheel beneath the board itself. I'm not going to try and explain it because I'm struggling already. I will go to one of the leading Australian mountain boarders in Dylan Warren. Good morning. G'day, Seth. How are you today? Mate, exceptional and getting better to channel the great Tommy Hafey. Mate, tell us, what is mountain boarding? Well, you're pretty much right on the money there, mate. Oh, that's they, a relief. Uh, it's a snowboard, um, yeah, essentially a snowboard with um, four pneumatic wheels. So, um, yeah, we ride these boards on pretty much every terrain, dirt, gravel, grass, you know, but we can ride it. (laughs) And, mate, it's obviously something for thrill-seekers, but has it been organised into competition yet? Yeah, it is. Um, I've been fortunate enough over the past five years or so to um, travel around the globe, Um, yeah, mountain boarding in Europe and Asia and uh, America. And is it a speed thing? How do you actually win at mountain boarding? Well, there's a few different um, divisions. There's like a, a traditional border cross, um, which is really similar to snowboard border cross. So you go down a big dirt track with jumps and berms and turns, and you've got to make it to the end. And there's also um, what I compete in is a, a freestyle event. So we do big jumps and tricks and grind down rails and, um, yeah, pretty much like a snowboard freestyle event. I'm seeing a Dylan Warren video game in the works in the next few years. Mate, uh, how long? Uh, how did you get into it in the in the first place? Well, I've been mountain boarding for probably about 10 years now, and the first time I ever saw a mountain board, um, I, was, I remember it was my, my 12th birthday party um, down at uh, Emerald Skate Park, and I was skating around, and a friend of mine brought a mountain board to the skate park, and I'm like, oh, what is this thing? It's a bit silly. And then, yeah, he slowly convinced me and I um, got on it and I've loved it since and haven't stopped. (laughs) (laughs) Mate, you're right. It looks like a skateboard on steroids. Uh, It's this big, strong thing. Mate, tell me this. Have you uh, ever perhaps been injured doing mountain boarding? Um, Yeah, I mean, a couple of times. But to be honest, I've hurt myself skateboarding more than mountain boarding. (laughs) You You fall off a mountain board and you fall on grass, so it's not as bad. Magnificent. Well, uh, the Facebook page for you guys, Australian Mountain Boarders, that's for people who are looking to get into it. When's your next competition? Um, Well, we've got a few coming up um, towards the end of the year in Melbourne, and uh, we're actually next Saturday in Beaconsfield. We're doing a little um, event called the Beaconsfield Bash where we have all the, the riders in the local area come out and have a ride with us, and we also teach kids for free. Love it. Dylan, thanks for joining us. No worries, mate. Have a good day. Australian mountain boarder Dylan Warren. And the segment is called The Glittering Galaxy of Sport. 
And we want your help to identify these people that are doing some pretty cool things outside the general sporting landscape, like Dylan, like Felix and the Rubik's Cube. So send me a tweet at Seb Costello 9 if you're doing something cool or if a mate's doing something a little bit different and just include the hashtag GGOSport. So glittering galaxy of sport. Hashtag GGOSport. G-G-O-S-P-O-R-T. Sound like that ad a few years ago. <laughs> G-G-O. Retired North Melbourne defender turned media megastar and weekend breakfast regular, Nathan Grimer. Good morning. Good morning, Seb. Uh, I'm still having a, a chuckle at what, what what the hell that was. Of <laughs> oh, come on. That was, what was that? Oh, I was trying to do the old ad, you know, the, the G-O sort of ad. <laughs> No, it wasn't. I think uh, I, I think we can remember the ad. Everyone it was a beauty. What? Give us the sound of it. Problem with my Google Mobile. Google Mobile. Problem with my Google Mobile. I was wondering. G O G G O. Problem with my Google Mobile. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, not the dark. Not the dark. That's exactly what I sounded like. I don't know what you're talking about. That's exactly what I sounded like. No, mate. That was uh, yours. Was absolute, absolute shocker, mate. But um, have you? Yeah, actually, give us a listen. Hashtag G Go Sport. G G O S P O R T. Sound like that ad a few years ago. G G O. Anyway, no. There was. I can't tell any different. Not even. Not even close, mate. It was pretty good. It was a pretty good performance. No, it's going to win me an Acra. I've had a, I've had actually a stinker of a week. Oh, what happened? Oh, I had my first day ever of work on Wednesday. Oh, welcome it to the real me, world. Uh, <laughs> welcome to the real world. It's our first day in eight oh, years, no and more, I woke up no with no more training sessions for two hours a day. Woke up uh, at five o'clock in the morning with gastro, and uh, <laughs> oh, no. I'm actually living with a guy at the minute from Tassie, and because yep. we're just finishing our house, we've only got one one toilet plumbed in at the oh. minute. So it just happens to be where he. What's showers. your mate's name? Fergus, he's, oh, uh, he's a great Fergus. friend. From, we're good friends, but you know, we, we've got boundaries. And I've woke up with this screeching pain in my oh, stomach. Anyone's ever had, and he's having a shower because he gets up early because he's a build. I'm thinking, please, Ferg, get out of the shower. I'm in uh, all sorts. And it felt like time stood still. And uh, in the end, I've had to bust down the door. And uh, yeah, I took our friendship to the next level. So it was a bit of a bit of an awkward one. But uh, Mate, you come in saying you've had a bad uh, week. What about Fergus? Yeah. He's had to shower in your filth. With great respect to Fergus, we've acted like it never happened. We haven't mentioned it since, but it also annoyed me because first day of work on Wednesday cost me going to the cup. Uh, I had an invite. Oh, good I friend, was there. Good friend Jay Sarauskas uh, from yes. Strategic Finance. Strategic yep. Finance. Very, a, very clever man. Invited a heap of the the North boys and past boys and unfortunately couldn't go. And I get a message at about 5 p.m. from one of them. What's uh, what's it, uh, Seb Costello like? <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, no. And you wrote back, I'm, Ripper. I'm, yeah, I said, no, he's not a bad bloke, actually. What oh, well, that? that's the best you can said, do. Mate, he's he not is, a bad bloke. He's strutting around <laughs> this bloody marquee <laughs> in the birdcage like a peacock <laughs> at the minute. Um, mate, no, but look, no, no, I didn't say that. Hamish McIntosh actually said, oh, I met that um, Seb Costello. What a great bloke. <laughs> but I've never seen him before. And I could I start, when I saw him put his head to his actual voice, I just I started laughing because... Uh, I just didn't didn't look like what I thought he'd look like. But, the big uh, game. Yeah, uh, we did have a nice chat. I was wearing white pants on Tuesday, which was quite <laughs> controversial according to some. But no, I was there with the beautiful girlfriend, Bree, and uh, yeah, we had a chat to Big Home, and we swapped stories about you, all of them positive. <laughs> oh, I'm sure they were. And then on Thursday, actually, as I just moved to my new house, got that flash flood, and uh, my house, uh, the roof started leaking, oh. but across, uh, across the road at... Uh, 
at the racetrack, saw that uh, that lovely lady get her kid off. Speaking <laughs> of flash flooding, yeah, yeah a fair exactly. bit of flashing going on down there at Flemington. How about that? Um, just uh, some people just must wake up the next day and just wonder what. Ha- I-, I used to that streaking uh, footage of many years ago when Roy Simons um, smashed that streak. Yeah, so good playing playing cricket. But uh, mate, you've got to hand it to her. She's owned it since then. You know, she did an interview directly afterwards. I mean, you would have seen the vision. This is the lady who on Oaks Day uh, was dared for $10 to whip her dress off and run around the lawn down there at Flemington. She did it. She got the $10. And since then, she's been doing interviews all over the place, just owning it. Yeah, well, if you're having a bad day on the punt, I guess $10 is, is $10. But I had to laugh. I played with a bloke at North, Lee Adams. He's an absolute... Patch. Pr- Patchy Adams, one of the great blokes in football. And... Uh, he used to love getting naked all the time, speaking of streaking, but he'd, he had this rule that he'd always leave his socks on. So then if he ever got caught or, or the club or anyone found out and would ask Patchy if he was naked, he could look him in the eye and, and say, I wasn't I wasn't completely naked ever. The socks always, out. I always like leave his socks as a get out, get out of jail. Where, where was he wearing the socks? On his, <laughs> no, no. On his feet? Okay. Good. He'd, Just yeah, he'd need a big sock, but it was, uh, <laughs> they were on his feet. He had sight, big feet. So um, Have you ever streaked? Oh, mate, I've got... Nothing to that I'd be wanting to reveal too closely. Oh. I'd have to be very, very. Uh, speaking I, I of streaking, I got a little story for you. I, you will, wouldn't have, you I wouldn't will. I got a little story <laughs> for you, but we'll do it after this. One triple three five three. Off the back of that, have you ever done it? And where did you streak? We're talking streaking. Let's try and keep it clean though. But uh, you know, let's share a few locations. At Berwick. Good morning, Chloe. Hey, how you going? I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to this. What have you got for us? Uh, one grand final year, I couldn't tell you when, it was a little while ago. Girlfriend and, uh, and myself were a bit bored. Boys were playing pool up top of the house and we decided to get our kid off, run down the back stairs, out around the house, up the driveway, down the street about 100 metres and went, well, hang on, walked back doing a walk of shame to the whole house being locked up and only one way in. <laughs> oh. I decided, yes, that if we were going to do that, they would lock us out and we had to walk past the pool table, back down the stairs to where our clothes were to get changed. I <laughs> fair bet, though, that the boys may have put the pool cues down pretty quickly once you two started doing that. Well, we kind of did a quick... Uh, we're out and then, yeah, just bolted. <laughs> <laughs> Good idea, Chloe. It's, it's all a bit of fun, isn't it? Paul's at Lang Warren. Good morning, Paul. Morning, Seb. How you going, mate? Uh, exceptional. Please That's share with good. us some streaking stories. Uh, must be something about grand finals, mate. This is the uh, <laughs> Essendon Carlton grand final. I was having 1993. That's the one. I was having a few trophies in the Lang Warren Hotel there. And uh, had a bet with the bar staff that if Carlton won, I'd do a lap of honour around the car park naked for them. <laughs> and if Essendon won, they had to give me 10 bucks. Oh, <laughs> we, we know Essendon won. Mate, well uh, done. So you made I, your $10. Yeah, but I did the lap anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Good man. And, uh, Good man. So I, I went out there, I did the lap of the car park where the bottle shop is now. Completely starkers except for a pair of volleys. <laughs> uh, the volleys. As, as roof tilers do often wear. Uh, got back and no clothes. Oh, they'd so, hidden them. The female bar staff were laughing. They're out there. And uh, I went, well, buggy you. Took off a volley and went back into the pub naked. <laughs> Just hung the volley on there. <laughs> <laughs> Whacked whack the volley on the todger. In I went. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> That's great, Paul. Good on right, you, mate. Paul. And the best bit about that story is the Bombers won that day, of course. Michael Long, enormous to win a Norm Smith medal. As a child, I didn't know song lyrics, but I knew Sandy Roberts' call of Michael Long running down the wing at the MCG. But as my impressions have been... Somewhat uh, question today. I'm not going to give it to you. Let's <laughs> yeah. go to Jackie at Mount Evelyn. Hey, how you going, boys? Mate, let's talk a little streaking. What do you got? 
was on footy trip in Adelaide. Uh, I think this is ominous. Yeah. <laughs> and um, we're at the pub and, yeah, we had a bit too much to drink and we were about to leave and I thought it would be a good idea to drop my backs and run around the park and well, I don't know, there was a cop waiting for me at the end of the road. Oh, and did the, you get a little bit of a talking to? Yeah, he was impressed. He's, uh, he saw all the boys drinking at the pub and he goes, footy trip. I said, yeah, unfortunately, sorry, mate. So, yeah. Uh, that's <laughs> Who's your footy team, Jack? Who'd you play for in those days? Uh, he points, still playing for him. Magnificent. How'd they go this year? Uh, not too bad. Finished to think about mid ladder, but yeah, it could be better, I guess. Right, that's all right. And have you been on footy trip yet? Uh, no, not this year. I kind of gave myself a self-care. <laughs> <laughs> a bit of money last year. Yeah, fair enough. And that's a great relief to the South Australian Police Force. Thanks for your call, Jack. Nath, uh, it seems that Patch Adams isn't alone with the love yeah. of streaking. <laughs> I still wonder why footy trips get a bad name. I just can't, can't quite work out when you tell the uh, the lovely you're going away with the boys on a footy oh, trip. They uh, isn't it a difficult they break conversation. Into a cold, cold sweat. But oh. just call it a golf trip, even though you don't play That's golf. Good idea. I do enjoy those. Scotty Scott Archer tweeted in uh, Seb Costello's uh, stick uh, stick to your strength radio uh, stick stick to your strength reporting and radio <laughs> as an impersonator. You're no good. Hashtag go go. Hashtag not to dart. <laughs> Oh dear, well, that's the last time I do G-O-G-G-O impressions Back quickly to this, that I heard Clay on there He's got my suburb, Ascot Vale, coming mm. in at 58 Yeah I just, I don't know if he's ever been out to Ascot Vale It's an absolute beautiful <laughs> Haven't suburb have you been robbed every week for the last yeah. month? I don't know, I'm not going to be critical of Blackburn But at 47, <laughs> that's, that's Throw the spear that on the Blackburn That's annoyed me a little bit But uh, oh, beautiful mate. suburb, Ascot Vale Always a pleasure to see you, Nath Likewise, it's my fiance's hens weekend slash night tonight. Speaking yeah. of uh, streaking, um, hopefully it's not her doing it, but uh, <laughs> being kicked out of the house. So, uh, quiet weekend for me. And uh, I got a catch, mate. Yeah. Come on. Right. Um, well, Hawthorne's rated in the top 10. I'm, so, uh, I'm a bit more Get livable. the hell out of Ascot Vale. <laughs> Scummy Ascot Vale and come across town. But. Uh, Coming past the 300 metres, excess knowledge went to the lead narrowly. Here's Prince of Penzance coming on down the outside. Prince of Penzance for Michelle Payne. Now Max Dynamite starts to charge home. Prince of Penzance from Max Dynamite. Prince of Penzance, it's history at Flemington, Michelle Payne. Prince of Penzance beat Max Dynamite. There it is, the Melbourne Cup win. It's the race that stops the nation, but this year it was the race that made Australia smile. And the winning trainer, Darren Weir, is on the line. Darren, thank you for your time. And listening to that, does it give you goosebumps? <laughs> yeah, it surely, surely does. Um, yeah, an absolute uh, unbelievable feeling and an unbelievable day, really. Mate, congratulations. What time did the party finish up on Tuesday? Uh, no, it went well into Wednesday. <laughs> well into Wednesday. <laughs> That's yeah. fantastic, mate. And uh, yesterday, up at Ballarat, it was the real welcoming for yourself and for Michelle and for Stevie, a celebration out the front of the Ballarat Town Hall. How was that moment? Oh, that was unbelievable, actually. Um, you know, when when they uh, when Lockie McKenzie, uh, the CEO of um, the race club, sort of started to get things organised and then the council got behind it, you know, and it was only sort of... A last-minute thing within within 24 hours, and um, they asked, "Would we be a part of it?" And then I said, "I'd bring the horse up and that." And um, sort of just rocked rocked up there really at about 12:30, thinking uh, I didn't know how many sort of people would be there. But uh, God, the people that turned up and the reception it got was utterly un- unbelievable. Uh, I didn't, it wasn't expecting it to be honest. 
Well, you deserve it, mate. And we understand that Ballarat's very special to you and that's where you base the stables, of course. What was your first thought when Poppy crossed the line first on Tuesday? <laughs> well, I couldn't believe it, to be honest. Um, <laughs> that was sort of the first thought. Was, did, did that just happen? Um, and then it was like a, uh, just a... Oh well, I'm not sort of a relief, but just the most amazing feeling. And uh, and then um, you know you walk down and go back to the mount yard, and then you see the owners going crazy and all that sort of stuff. And the media goes, they're they're just everywhere. And then um, my two little daughters, uh, (laughs) I ran into them, and the oldest one just burst out in tears of excitement. So that was pretty special as well. So it was a, it was just a great day. Oh mate, that is gorgeous. That is absolutely gorgeous. We're talking to Darren Weir, the Melbourne Cup winning trainer on Triple M's Weekend Breakfast. And Weary, I owe you a beer because in a panic, I threw $5 down on Prince of Penzance and it made my cup day very enjoyable, I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, it's a, I think for the $5 punter who just um, just has a bet once a year in the Melbourne Cup or the $10 punter, you know, I think a, a lot of people from Ballarat would have backed it because of just the fact that the horse was trained from Ballarat and ridden by a Ballarat girl, and um, and you know you don't have to have you don't have to have much on it uh, when they're a hundred to one. <laughs> I know that all too well, Weary. So when the party does quieten down, as I say, I've got a beer with your name on it, mate. And you and Michelle, it must be a special relationship now that you've been able to share this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what, what people don't understand about about Michelle is she does a lot of hard work behind the scenes that doesn't get rewarded for because it's just the industry in general like there's not it's just not Michelle there's other jockeys as well that are just um, they don't get the reward for the work that they put in but the owners had really stuck by her with this horse and we sort of and she'd done nothing wrong on it so I was more than happy to go with her as well and um so I think it's a, you know it's an enormous reward for her, but it's just a, a credit to her the way she's handled herself as well. And I know giving back to the industry is really important to you. In fact, as I made my way around Flemington this week, you ask people, you know, what's Darren Weir like? Two words: great bloke. Was the response from just about everybody? And I understand you're going to say thank you to those associated with the ride this weekend. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to have a um, bit of a shinding out at home on on Sunday, and um, for the people that are that have been involved in it, and um, you know, for other people to come out and and and, and have a drink and just a, a bit of a catch up. So, uh, really looking forward to that day, but um, also looking forward to next Wednesday when. Um, because I always said if I uh, won something big, I'd take it back to Berrawillick, where where I grew up, and uh, there's only about a hundred people live in Berrawillick, but. Uh, that's going to be a great day, that is. Oh, mate. Well, we wish you well. I mean, that is reflective of the sort of guy you are. Hey, before you go, you've been able to identify talent in a Melbourne Cup winning horse. Just wanted to uh, play you this upcoming broadcasting talent and see what you think. Past the 400, Calcadans on the outside, then followed by Under the Whip, then Grand Targe, and then followed Magical Ruby. Schwa City's gone as they near by the home corner. It's Calcadan on the outside, went up to join Viva La Dance, who wants to fight. Grand Targe gets to the outside. It's Calcadan with Viva La Dance and Grand Targe down the outside. Calcadan from Viva La Dance, Grand Targe on the outside, and move! I reckon Fia's Calcadan in the middle has just won this from Viva La Dance and Grand Targe, Magical Ruby and Schwa City was lost in. Now that is Dane Barry, who I believe is your young nephew. 
Yeah, he is. He is. Um, he, he loves. Uh, got two nephews actually. Uh, my brother's um, son as well. He, he loves racing, but Dane's got a real passion for it. Like I think Dane's only thirteen. I think and more, more, something somewhere like that. But he's been. He called a race there last year, and like calling races is bloody hard. <laughs> so is training Melbourne it's Cup hard, winners, mate. Know, uh, I tell hard. you what, I've got a, I've got a bit of a vision of uh, Dane Barry being in the caller's box the next time Darren Weir wins a Melbourne Cup. <laughs> well, that'd be great. Like he's, um, he's got a massive passion for it, and um, obviously, I just you know, uh, I think that race at Witchy they told me there was like a, a very, very small margin between the first three horses, and he nailed it and got it right. So that's a. That was pretty pretty good too, but uh, I hope he follows his dream um, because uh, the way he's going at the moment, uh, for a kid to be able to call like that, he's certainly a big chance of fulfilling it anyway. Melbourne Cup winning trainer Darren Weir, congratulations on what has been a historic week and a great achievement and a well-deserved one. Thanks for joining us on Triple M. All right, thanks for the chat. I've spent most of the week out at Flemington and there's been some great punting stories doing the rounds. You would have heard about the girl who won money on Prince of Penzance, put her ticket up on Facebook in a bit of a selfie, and then an enterprising friend of hers printed it off, wandered into the TAB and collected her winnings. It's pretty disappointing. I mentioned before to Darren Weir, I was at Flemington on Cup Day. The hours were racing away from me. Next thing I knew, it was 2.59 and I hadn't placed a bet on. Ran in a panic to the nearest TAB machine, threw $5 on Prince of Penzance, and lo and behold, a little over 300 came back, which made a great Melbourne Cup day for me. But there's also one I heard the other day, which related to a man who had a multi-bet on. That is, he'd made a series of predictions on different events in the hope of getting really long odds and making a lot of money. And so the way the story went is this gentleman had thrown $100 on four of the biggest races, the Caulfield Guineas, the Caulfield Cup, the Geelong Cup, and the Melbourne Cup. And at the end of last week, he was three from three heading into Tuesday. He stood to win $440,000. TAB, as they do, as all businesses do, approached him about making a deal. They said to him, well, buy back your ticket for $80,000. He said no. He said, I've got Fame Game in the Melbourne Cup. It's the absolute favourite. And at the odds that Fame Game is at, I'm a pretty good show to win $440,000. He came again. TAB approached him and said, look, how about we buy this ticket off you for $120,000? He's looking at the ticket. He's looking at six figures of cash, more than the annual salary for most of us. And he says no. I've got fame game. I've got the short-priced favourite. I'm going to hang on to my ticket. And the man said goodbye to $120,000, thanks to Prince of Penzance getting up. Not a good story for everybody, but hopefully he could see the positivity in it. What are the great punting stories? Have you got one? They're always exciting. They're always got a bit of a thrill, and it's, a, I guess, a world of highs and lows. At Seb Costello 9 is the Twitter. Or give us a ring, one triple three five three with your best punting stories course gamble responsibly this program brought to you by luxbet.com we'll check in with shawnee anderson in a moment and mark hunt to the ufc fight i want to have a chat to him he got punched in the head 360 times one night i think we've all felt like that few of us have put ourselves through it just talking some good punting stories off the back of a bloke who said no to a one hundred and twenty thousand dollar offer for a ticket that stood to win four hundred and forty thousand if fame game won the melbourne cup dan you got a yarn for us yeah, spewing if you're that guy. But, um, 
Yeah, I actually won $392 off 50 cents. Oh, yes, please. Tell us uh, the details. Um, It was actually through the Sportsbet app. Um, It was actually my daughter at school. She's in prep, and they did a, um, I suppose, like a sweep. Uh, It wasn't wasn't for money or anything, but, um, yeah, they all got to pick horses. And, um, yeah, the two horses she got to pick at school um, were these two. So I just chucked 50 cents on it. And um, I also put 50 cents on the nose of uh, Prince as well. And, yeah, come back with 392 for the Quinella and another 40 bucks for the for the win of Prince. Not bad for 50 cents, Dan. Of course, gamble responsibly. But if you're throwing 50 cents out, that's not exactly going to put any problems towards the mortgage. Let's go to Mark, who's out at Melton. Mate, was it you who had a bit of luck? Yeah, yeah. Um, I was at home one night and I was watching the trots on TV and just <laughs> love. I put money on a horse that was paying $15, chucked $10 on it. Uh, it ended up winning. But then I put for I put money on another horse about five minutes later that was paying about $19, chucked on it, ended up winning. And then I put money on a greyhound that was paying like $80 or something. So in the space of about 20 minutes, I turned $10 into about 400 which was pretty good. Mate, that's nothing to sneeze at. Uh, not a bad late night home uh, down there in Melton. Joining us, as she does every week from Fox Sports, is Narrowly Meadows. This week, of course, she's at the Gabba watching the Australians take the Black Caps to town, basically. How are you, Narrowly? I'm well, thanks, Seven. I've got my own punting story, actually. The one that Mickey Malloy has been chatting about oh, all yeah. week. I was part of that syndicate. In fact, I led the way. I was the one that said, let's put some money on it. And have you been so, included uh, in the... A, I've had a great day. Did you get the winnings, or are you like Husey on the way out? No, I was a little bit concerned because I had to leave that lunch early in order to make my flight to Brisbane. But the fact that I suggested it in the first place, and that was in the WhatsApp group, and the fact that uh, I went to the lunch and had to leave early but still made it to the lunch. I mean, Mickey Mickey texted me privately and said, of course you're in, you're fine. Good to hear. So, uh, happy days. Good the, week. Yeah, happy days for the Aussies too. New Zealand trailing by 399 runs with five wickets remaining in their first innings as day three gets underway at the Gabba. What's the weather like up there? It's beautiful at the moment. Blue skies, which, which actually makes me a little bit nervous in Brisbane because it tends to be the bluer the skies, the quicker the rain's about to come on. But uh, it was overcast this time in the last few days and then the storms haven't come until overnight. So perhaps the, uh, the rain may come a little earlier in the day today. But if you're looking around now, it's a, a picture-perfect sight, the Gabba. So that is good news. And as you say, the Aussies are absolutely dominating the Kiwis, Yo. which is really disappointing. And the confidence, can you feel just a bit of confidence around this Australian eleven led by Steve Smith and Dave Warner? Absolutely, and Mitchell Stark said yesterday that he thought it was a really psychological blow the way that they are leading them at the moment, 399 runs ahead after dumps on day two. But look, I think we all wanted a contest and we all expected a contest, but the Kiwis haven't played test cricket since uh, May and now they're Tim Southey down. It's whether he comes out to bat, we don't know, but it looks like he won't play much further part in this test, given that he was out after the first session with that back injury yesterday, and he's the spearhead. So if there's no Tim Southey, it's hard to see how New Zealand can win a test this series. Enjoy Queensland, Narrowly Meadows, and oh, look, 30% of your share in the Prince of Penzance group bet would be appropriate for me, I would have thought. <laughs> I'd, I'd love 30%, that'd be great. Mm, yeah, no, no, I'm saying 30% of your share you'll give to me as a donation of friendship. <laughs> Friends, you don't have any. No, well, but you're trying to buy me my friendship, and it's probably worth a bit more than that, to be honest. 
I'm an acquaintance, and to be honest, I get a bit of stick just for saying that about you, and I can hear Hyphen laughing in the background. Mm. Hi, Hyphen. You're annoying, according to <laughs> Billy Brownless. <laughs> it was Billy's mate, okay? I'm it pretty sure he Billy endorsed Brownless. the view. <laughs> we'll talk to you next week. Enjoy the test. Nearly Meadows from Fox Sports up there at the Gabba. Next Sunday at Etihad Stadium, UFC 193. The organisation makes its debut in Melbourne. Ronda Rousey v Holly Holm is the main event. I'll be catching up with Ronda next week for the Nine News. But on the undercard is Mark Hunt, who is one of the biggest names based in Australia in the UFC. He takes on Antonio Silva in a heavyweight bout. He's just landed from Thailand, where he's been training. He's on the line. And before we get stuck into fight talk, I was going through your Facebook, Mr. Hunt, and there's a video of you holding a piece of Rocky Road and you're serenading it. Have a listen. I just want to hold you, baby, Rocky Road. <laughs> That's you singing to a piece of Rocky Road. What was that about? Yeah, that's just a, a bit of fun for the for the Facebook fans. You know, I thought I'd do a bit of uh, a bit of a song. We might even go and try it for Australian Idol next year, maybe. Do they have an age limit? <laughs> <laughs> Mate, I loved it. It's fantastic to see that after you put yourself through such punishment, you can still smile at the end of the day. And I'm sure you've earned the Rocky Road. Tell us about your training over there in Thailand. How hard has camp been? Training's been pretty hard, you know. I mean, uh, Mike Swick and all the guys at AKA Thailand are amazing. Looked after us really well. You know, I went over there because I... When I went over to help Sol with his camp against Bigfoot, you know, I found the place really, really good. Um, they were really welcoming. Uh, it's, it's affordable to train over there and have a lot of guys come over and help you training. So it's a great place to, to do Muay Thai and mix martial arts at the moment. So it was, it was great. Mate, you must sweat a bit. Now, a few people would... Uh, <laughs> We'll be looking at you saying we are wrapped to have you in Melbourne, but the last time you went out there in Adelaide, it was a pretty infamous night. You're up against a Spike my, Stipe Miocic, and he hit you around 361 times, which was a UFC <laughs> record. <laughs> yeah, it was just uh, it was just he hit me hit me a lot more than I hit him. So you know, it wasn't a good night in the office for me. It was a hard night, so but it's the price of uh, being a prize fighter, I guess. Yeah, mate. And, you know, how do you find, I guess, the courage to, to get back and say, right, I'm going to be part of the next one at 193? Well, that's my job. You know, I've been fighting for 26 years. You know, I'm one of the best fighters of the planet. So, you know, you can't really uh, keep a good person down, especially as a fighter. Exactly I'm right. in there all the time. Mate, you are a dominant heavyweight, but you're 5'10". The bloke you're fighting, Antonio Bigfoot Silva, who you drew with last time, he's 6'4". What sort of challenges does that present for you? Oh, it doesn't really present any challenges for me. You know, I'm a heavyweight, so I'm, you know, I'm a big guy. But, you know, in my division, everyone's a lot bigger. I'm kind of short for the for this division. But uh, it's pretty cool, you know. So, I mean, I love fighting against the big boys, and that's what I, that's what I do my whole career. <laughs> There's this lady running around with no clothes on, on in the racing. <laughs> <laughs> what about that? She's in her underpants running around She's in, in Flemington. <laughs> She's got no clothes on, funny. <laughs> <laughs> what is that about? What has got into her head? Uh, I think she's had a few too much wine. Yeah, there goes the top coming off. Oh. And she's, she's it's raining. <laughs> she's out of there. She's racing. <laughs> Mate, how good's that? I'm interviewing Mark Hunt on Triple M. You're watching TV. And a woman in no clothes is running around Flemington on the TV. <laughs> That's, That's great.
Well, mate, we're uh, wishing you all the best. <laughs> mate, she looks, she's dressed in uh, yeah less clothes than you'll be wearing at UFC 193. <laughs> Actually, now she's got a top on and a bottom. I don't have a bottom on. <laughs> yeah, mate. thanks for having me on, guys. Cheers. Mate, absolute champion. Hey, can you leave us with a bit of a song? How about you sing a song for the woman with no clothes on? Oh, this is for the lady with no clothes on. Please put some clothes back on, baby. <laughs> Oh, Mark, the super Samoan. The baby. <laughs> <laughs> He's part of UFC 193. You're a legend. You See you, mate. Bye. The Aussies will be looking to continue sending a strong message to the Test cricket playing world today. In day three of the first test against the Kiwis, they return the Kiwis to the Gabba Crease, trailing by 399 with five wickets remaining in their first innings. The great Mark War is a massive part of Triple M this summer, and he's been kind enough to join us before day three gets started. Mark War, good morning. And that no sledging policy of the Kiwis doesn't seem to be helping him so far. Yeah, good day, Seb. Yeah, it hasn't worked too well, but um, it's been outstanding first couple of days by our boys. Um, obviously batted beautifully in the first innings, and then with the ball um, sort of late yesterday, you know, the two Mitchells uh, and Josh Hazelwood bowled really well. So, yeah, all the pressure on the Kiwis. Um, they're going to have to play very well from here on in to get out of this test match. They've, you know, famously hadn't lost a series in the last seven that they'd played. Have even you been surprised at how dominant Australia have been over the last or the first two days of the test? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I, look, the, the Kiwis are a pretty good side and their, their record in the last 12 months or so has been really good. Um, they're quite an aggressive side, but um, to the credit of our boys, um, you know, right from the word go, they've, they've played beautifully. Uh, they haven't put a foot wrong. They've played aggressively. Uh, the Gabba is obviously, a, you know, a venue that really suits the Australians. We've got a great record there and that's continued in this game. So, look, I wouldn't write the Kiwis off completely. I think they've still got a bit of fight in them, but um, at this stage, um, you know, we've done everything right so far to win this game and push home the advantage. wanted to ask you about Usman Khawaja. Coming into this test, he's played nine tests and he's knocked out 174 in the first innings. Yeah, look, great uh, great comeback. He hasn't played uh, test cricket for um, over 12 months. He's had quite a few injuries, but he's always been a very talented player. So, you know, just what the selectors want, it was, it was a tough um, selection originally to pick Usman. There was a lot of um, competition for that number three spot, but um, you know to bat like that, and you know that's that's the best way to, to handle any situation under pressure. Just go out there and make 170. So beautiful innings. He's a classy player. You know he always looks good, but um, you know he's you know he's made a very very good score here, which will give him a lot of confidence at, at Test level. And the leadership group, if you like, or the captain, vice-captain of Smith and Warner, they were on the front foot at the beginning of the weekend saying that this was very much the start of their era in charge of the cricket side and they were looking to send a really strong message. Well, they've certainly done that over the first two days. Yeah, look, you don't want to get too carried away. It's only, it's only two days of test cricket, but um, what a great start. I mean, Steve Smith's got all the attributes to be a, a very good leader um, for Australia for a long time. And we know Davey Warner, he's a real street fighter and um, you know, he's got a great attitude towards playing, you know, aggressive style of cricket and that never give up sort of attitude. So I'm sure that's going to flow through into the rest of the players. Um, but it's, it's a collective um, effort. You know, it's not just the captain, the vice captain, all the players need to sort of buy into, you know, the, the culture of the team. But um, so far, so good in the first couple of days this summer. Speaking of getting carried away, have you started making plans for Monday yet? Or could we still be sitting down to watch that come Monday? Um, look, <laughs> Sports a funny thing; it can change very, very quickly. Um, yep. So, you know, I don't, I don't get too carried away uh, halfway through a race or halfway through a cricket game. There's still a long way to go. So, 
But at the moment, um, you know, we're looking very good, that's for sure. So, you know, without getting too carried away, from this point uh, onwards, you'd expect, you know, if the weather's good, then, then Australia are going to be, you know, very, very hard to beat in this game. Magnificent. Mark War is going to be a huge part of Triple M over summer, helping us out with the expertise garnered over a fantastic career. Thanks for joining us this morning. Yeah, not a problem. Good to talk to you. All the best. Mark War there giving us the skinny on day three of the test against New Zealand. Good luck to the Aussies. Thanks to the hyphen who pushes the buttons behind the panel. Mikey Barrett, the producer, Dave Collins, who works on the audio. And thanks for all your tweets and your calls. Have a sensational weekend. This is Triple M's Weekend Breakfast with Seb Costello.